Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Expert Process Podcast. I'm your host, Durante Smith. We are doing something different today, and I am so excited to have on the show with me, co-hosting with me today, um, a, a young lady I met, uh, I guess, what, maybe a couple of years ago. Does that sound about right? I think so. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. Uh, on LinkedIn, of all places, you guys know me as the LinkedIn demon. I I love LinkedIn. That's my preferred platform. Me too. <laughs> That's why we bonded. Exactly. Exactly. So everyone, welcome to the show. Marlene Sharp. Marlene, let me tell you guys this just so you understand who we are talking to. Marlene is animation royalty. She is an executive producer, a showrunner, a producer, a wearer of all things, all hats in the industry, as well as she produces live action as well. Am I right in saying that too? I've been known to do that, yes. I, I've been known to produce whatever puts food on the table. I, I, uh, you know, with it, kids and family friendly, you know, certainly. with all with standards and ethics and all that's that. Right, that's right, <laughs> Certainly, gotcha. Well, Marlene, welcome to the show. Um, why don't you do this? Tell the audience just a bit about your background because I know, you know, your background is so storied, but one of the biggest things I will say is, and we kind of joke about it, the Hedgehog, right? Sonic the Hedgehog. My daughter and I love the movie. We love the one and love the two. I personally love two better than one, but that's a debate in our household. So tell, tell us a little more about your background. Yeah, so you mentioned Sonic the Hedgehog. I do have a history with the Hedgehog. And I worked at Sega for two and a half years and... Wow, what a two and a half years that was. It was uh, 2015 to 2017. And um, it sounds like, well, it's to me, it seems like I'll be bonded with Sonic forever. People <laughs> never get tired of hearing about that intense two and a half years of my right. life. But um, I still have a lot of friends who work for Sega and, um, and I'm always happy to talk about it. So at Sega, I, my title was producer, comma, TV series, which was kind of general. Um, I was brought on to produce the second season of Sonic Boom. And then a variety of things happened. And uh, I, like you said, wearing many hats, I wore many hats within Sega of America. So... Mm. My background also includes a lot of other characters from beloved characters from video games, comics, mm -hmm. and animated TV series. And some of those are Pink Panther, um, Postman Pat, mm -hmm. Yokai Watch, Inazuma Eleven, The Layton Series, Power Rangers, Digimon, and. <laughs> Well, if you can call Paul McCartney a brand, let's throw him in there too. Gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> so, so I I feel like I've done every job there is to do in show business because it it's just nice to be employed. And yeah. so I feel like I'm a quick study. And so yeah. somebody's willing to give me a shot doing something, by golly, I will learn it and I will do it to the best of my ability. So um that's the secret of getting to work on stuff is just say yes. Networking. Networking is probably, you know, equally as uh, I think equally as important because, you know, like how we connected and when you see on LinkedIn, the different um, levels of connections that you have and, you know, the different tiers and stuff like that. But what you come to learn is 
the industry really is quite small once you actually kind of you know really get into it and you get into the especially if you're starting into the higher rungs and the higher echelons the industry is really really quite small so people begin to know each other and they talk you know and the funniest thing i've learned over the past i don't know probably three years or so actually getting into animation um is that those circles are very um number one they're very influential right but number two they're they it's important to not only court those relationships but to protect those relationships right because i've come to learn that uh sadly some people don't value people's personal space and they don't value the you know the 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 distance that you should have between someone's personal and their business space right so not everyone is meant to be that number one or that first or second level connection am, am i right in saying that oh yeah yeah it's it's all over the place i mean like some people are on linkedin to to further their careers some people are on linkedin only to sell stuff to right. folks it's me yeah. i'm on linkedin about careers right. and it it's a it's a platform for job searching so right. i'm not there to buy stuff quite frankly i try to pull from my network right. as much as possible i don't like to cast a wide net for um employment because i know so many people if i can recommend a trusted friend for a position somebody who's who's done right by me then i'll do it so so, <laughs> so yeah respecting boundaries very important one of the other things i would say is first and foremost um let me say this i really appreciate your time i really appreciate you coming on because you know it, it, again we connected folks we connected over linkedin that's the reason why we were talking about linkedin and i think that's probably the uh beauty in the platform but above and beyond all that right I'm, I'm at a point where I'm like, you know what, how do we how do we leverage our relationships to do something bigger and to help, you know, help uh, uh, expose and share what we know. And that's really what this episode is about. So, OK, folks, Marlene and I are going to do our take on the Oscars. That's what this whole thing is about, is we are doing our take on the Oscars. We're going to do it, though, from a very unique and interesting place, from an interesting perspective. Um, we are going to be the 2.0 version of Siskel and Ebert, right? I think we said, and we are the Ebony and Ivory version. I think we said that too, right? You said it, Durante. You coined that. So <laughs> kudos. So yeah, what we're going to do, folks, we are going to talk about the, you know, it's going to be light and funny, but then the flip side too is there's some heavy stuff that kind of needs to be addressed too. And and we, we both had looked at some articles and stuff like that, especially as it pertains to animators and their feelings toward, you know, things that you guys actually may, may or may not know about. It depends on who's watching this, right? Um, because the audience is so varied. But yeah, I think, uh, I think well, first thing I would, I'd like to say starting out is if you guys are watching this, just understand, I would say we are like Donald Trump. Now you guys are going to be like, what? We're kind of like Donald Trump in the sense that um, if you're watching us, you may or may not like us, but hey, we're all you got. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> so that's, that's the first thing. Okay. All right. My, maybe my joke bomb. But, uh, the, the next thing I would say is, uh, 
bear with us because this is, you know, we may flub or something like that. It's lighthearted, but in the same turn, it's just meant to shed light on animators and producers that we know that deserve the spotlight that may never get the spotlight at the Oscars being frank about it, you know, and I just came back from kids green, which was a wonderful experience, met some terrific people. Um, I was there for four days, um, had an opportunity to meet Jocelyn, the lady that's the head of the, you know, the, the event, um, met with several executives there with regards to my own pitch. And as well as, um, I was there with my show, so I was able to do several interviews, I think 10 or 12 interviews, so which will all be coming out over the next few weeks. So you guys stay tuned for that. Um, the interviews will be coming out um, within the next, actually starting next week, and they'll just continue to come out over the next few weeks. There are just tons and tons and tons of great uh, folks that I spoke with. And yeah, so uh, just keep, uh, keep an eye out for that. On that note, Marlene, where would you like to start? So uh, we have, you know, this wonderful industry we call animation, right? And you have a storied career in animation. I'm really just just starting to get into it over the past couple of years, but well, uh, maybe animated features. Okay. Because that happens to be on my laptop screen right now. <laughs> so <laughs> let's let's do that. Let's start there. Okay. All right. Well, let's first pull up a list here of our animated features. Okay, so our list uh, here that we have, uh, Marlene, would you like to would you like to do the honors? Sure. Okay. So the nominees for best animated feature are Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, mm. Marcel the Shell with Shoes On, Puss in Boots: The Last Wish, The Sea Beast, and Turning Red. Gotcha. Okay, so I've seen all of those, but the shoes um, ah. and I don't know why I didn't see the shoes. Perhaps maybe my daughter didn't bring it to my attention. She's so my daughter's 10 uh, Madison. She's 10. She is an avid watcher of animated movies and whatnot. Um, but that's the only one I don't recall seeing um, that said, can you enlighten me with, with uh, that particular one? Yes, I can because that is my pick. And really? I am okay. not yes, and I am not shy about it. So Marcel the Shell with Shoes On has a lot of stop motion animation uh -huh. in it. And the stop motion is by way of the Kyoto brothers. Hi, okay. Kyoto Brothers. So <laughs> the Kyoto brothers and I go way, way back. They okay. are the nicest people and so talented. So I I know Edward and Stephen Kyoto. And so this is a family business where for years they've made puppets and um, stop motion and just amazing stuff. And I'm a doll and toy collector. So okay. their art really speaks to me. And I feel like they've gone unsung in Hollywood for a long time. They were involved in the short. So Marcel the Shell with Shoes On is based on a, a short that oh. um, Jenny Slate and Dean Fleischer Camp, who I believe is her ex-partner or maybe ex-husband, okay. um, they did they did this short with with um, the designs and the, the puppets by uh, the Kyoto brothers. And mm. then it went viral and then yada 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 years passed by and we've got this beautiful feature so um because i know and love the kyotos 
that's why this i mean it's a great film it's a great film right. and it's a great property it has a a, a wonderful backstory of its origin sure. you know just sure. how it got made but um i really feel like the this is the kyoto's moment um gotcha. they i don't know if you remember this was several years ago there was a, a movie that starred steve carell called dinner for schmucks yes Di yes i remember that yes that funny. So, do you remember the steve carell character would create these dioramas with these little um, yes, mice that. and yes. everything the kyotos did all of that that really? was their work and oh, to wow. me that was the star of I that movie. movie yeah it was, was that's right that's it right. was just amazing i would like to live in that world <laughs> in that little <laughs> mouse world because it's yeah, yeah. so yeah, beautiful they're, they're talented they're very amazing. talented what was the movie about though this one kind of flew under the radar it's not disney yeah. it's not pixar it's not dreamworks right but um it's about this little character kind of like a, a snail and yeah. um and his he has shoes <laughs> and uh he is is a very um sentient character even though he's kind, kind of like he's he's an animal but you know he has the qualities of a person and he's very okay. small and he has an adventure it's a hero's journey and marcel is is the hero okay. and um let's leave it at that so that okay. it encourages people to pa patronize the movie and <laughs> you know maybe become curious about it and dig a little bit deeper but anyway cool. that's my pick <laughs> Very okay so uh that was great yeah i that sounds like a really really cute film I, i'll have to check it out so of what i know of, of the ones that i've seen the ones i've seen all of them um so that for me is complicated. Um, Turning Red was one of the options, correct? Okay. Turning Red is interesting because I have a 10-year-old daughter. And now she's starting to hit that pre-puberty phase, right? And that opened up a conversation and, and, and a dialogue that me as a single parent, I really wasn't quite ready to have, you know? Oh. So, <laughs> yeah. Oh, was right. So <laughs> I didn't know exactly. I didn't know what the movie was about. So, yeah, um, the the little red uh, panda isn't the she isn't what you think. She's actually a metaphor for something else going on with the girl's body. And as you say, I don't I don't want to ruin the, the movie for folks. It's been out for a while, but it's a really, really well done film and it's clever and it really opens up dialogue that, you know, you may or may not be prepared to have, but it was it's worth it. It needed to be that conversation needed to be had. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so I really, I really like that. I love Puss in Boots because I'm a Puss in Boots fan. I love, I mean, I just love Puss in Boots. I think it was really well done, especially in the, um, the fight scenes and stuff like that. I thought that was very interesting. Um, and the, how they changed the animation style and things like that. I thought that was really, you know, really clever. Uh, if I'm being honest now and Sea Beast, Sea Beast was another, correct? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Love Sea Beast. Sea Beast the story really tugged on my heart as so as a writer so i'm a writer director and producer i primarily work in film um some in television and now most recently you know moved into the animation space right so from my background as origins as a writer um i think cb's probably tugged at me the most right i just really really enjoyed that as you say the character's journey and how those writers took um, us on that journey with those characters. I really enjoyed that. 
But if I am choosing one that I've seen, not not including the one that you mentioned, right? I have to go with Pinocchio. I thought that was the most clever take on Pinocchio I've seen. And there have been a few, right? This is maybe the third. Like oh, that. yeah. A lot of, yeah. Of course, D Disney being the iconic one. But, yeah, it's a story. It's a tale as old as time. Right. <laughs> so it's been, it's been told and retold. Right. Otero is, uh, he, he's like the modern day Tim Burton, you know, um, maybe not as, maybe not as far out as Tim Burton because Tim Burton could go, he could go kind of far out there, but creatively, you know, he, he pushed the envelope. But to me, uh, Guillermo is, is in that same kind of space, the same kind of lane. Right. Um, uh, and I, I really loved what he did with Pinocchio. I thought it was uh very, very well done. I thought, and, and, and as you were talking about stop motion, that's that animation is a type of stop motion animation, correct? Yes. It is. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, stop motion for most folks don't understand. Stop motion is like probably the origins of animation, frankly. You know, it's really, really, really uh, an old um, type and style. So for him to pick that specific type of animation and kind of make and modernize it um, and use it to tell a story in such a really kind of crafted, creative way, it kind of it really caught my attention. You know, so for me, my pick is probably uh, it's probably Pinocchio. Okay. Well, fine choice. You know, I don't. I don't think any of them are are bad choices. Right. Like I, I think there there are a few <clears throat> that are under the radar kind of films. There are at least a, a couple, and then there are like, Turning Red, of course, is like the Disney Pixar offering, and um, that was one of the one of the complaints that yes. we read in those articles. So we read a vulture article about yes. controversy about the animation category and then there was a follow-up article by cartoon brew yes. about just the animation category not getting the respect of live action essentially yes. and um that's an interesting argument and uh one of the points made in in both of the articles is that disney tends to win more Disney Pixar films tend to win in the best animated feature category more times than not. And so that might be a contributing factor to the general dismissiveness of animation. Like, oh, well, Disney's going to win. So sure. what's the point of even paying attention? But but I, I like that Disney has some worthy challengers this year, and it really could be it could be any of them that I think everybody in the, in the running has a, a good chance. So the, one of the articles that you're talking about with Vulture, it's called, um, it's kind of embarrassing why animators are unhappy with the Oscars. So that particular piece is what you're talking about um, mm -hmm. in respect to Disney and in respect to these animators and basically um, to kind of piggyback on what you're saying. In my experience, especially coming off of Kid Screen, where I talked to so many animators, so many people in the animation space, right? And, you know, under, people have to understand animation is bigger than just someone sitting down and drawing, right? It's, you know, it's a, this huge collective of people that are behind the scenes. And what happens so often is that there seems to be this almost kind of competition between live action and animation. And what happens oftentimes is the folks um, that are doing live action tend to get the rewards, they can, tend to get the kind of accolades 
they tend to get the bigger budgets and stuff like that. Animation tends to tends to be looked at as um, a kids kid space or primarily kid space when the irony is it's not. Animation is much wider than that. And then having coming to you know uh, you know to talking with folks like Jay uh, Jay Francis, he was a good friend of mine over at Disney. Um, or talking with um, you know some other folks, I could name like 20 different people. But when I talk with these folks, one of the things I come to learn is that the big studios now they they've shifted their model to try to be a much much more inclusive and open model when it comes to animation, right? So now, whereas Disney doesn't necessarily have a preteen audience. Or, um, or what you would think of as tween audience anymore. Now it has to hit like four different categories. The reason why is because they want to get the, the younger ones, the younger siblings. They want to still hit the preteen market, but then they want to get the older siblings and they also want to get the parents. And if they can pull in the grandparents, they want to get them too. So they want it to be more family focused versus you know um, what, would, what we tend to used to think of. So they try to be a bit more, I think a lot more inclusive in their marketing strategy and then what they're bringing in, but it's just trying to build a bigger tent, right? So, but that said, then uh, when we think about animation, uh, the the issues that you run up against are folks that are in animation and the animators themselves tend to get seen as um, less than, and that's what these guys are talking about in the article. They feel that, you know, their work is being perceived as less than because you know, they're not getting the accolades, they're not getting this. And then on top of that, as you said, um, you have the vast majority of the nominations tend to be the, the majors like Disney and Pixar and, you know, Sony and DreamWorks and these companies. But the reality of it is, it's because they have the ability to take those projects to mass market, right? So it's kind of a, it's kind of a dichotomy that it's 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 an unfortunate um, kind of reality for us that we live in, right? As a film producer, I work in the indie space, and the indie space is very 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 difficult to get into theaters, but it's not difficult to get onto platforms. So those are two different things, right? It's difficult to have a hugely successful hit, but it's not difficult to have a successful project. You know, so when you look at it from that standpoint, us indie filmmakers aren't really ever perceived as the, you know, the upper echelon or this and that until we can break through. Right. But the difficulty for animators is probably 10 times as hard because the glass ceiling is a lot higher. Am I right in saying that? I think so. Yeah. And then also there's just there within the animation industry, there are mixed messages being mm. sent. For instance, a lot of animated properties, TV and film, have toy lines associated with them yes. and big merchandise yes. plants behind merchandise licensing. Um, you don't necessarily see that with live action, maybe if it's a superhero franchise or um, uh, Lucas and Star Wars, which hello they're they're disney so disney even if they didn't ever start out that way disney would have probably put them in that that space because that's how disney's business model works um but um in the kids tv world live action as well as animation projects are monetized not 
really by the screen content, but it is by the consumer products because there aren't big license fees paid to creators to, to make that type of thing. Um, it's, it's a complicated formula that I think really started back in the 80s when the toy companies were making money hand over fist and then mm. the networks just put their feet down and said no we're not going to we're not going to pay you tons of money for your he-man show so that you can make even more money for the toys mm. we're going to pull back on the the license fee for the show okay. and we're going to demand that we get a cut of the revenue but okay. the the point being is that a lot of animation is associated with stuff that you see on the toy aisle when you go to the store. So uh, on the one hand, like people in animation want to be taken seriously. And, and but then there are these mixed messages happening in the background with like all, all these these toys and, you know, tie ins with uh, uh, kids, kids products, apparel and it's breakfast cereals and stuff like that where you're not going to see um that irish movie that's nominated this year i don't think you're going to see that on uh breakfast cereal mm. <laughs> no, I, I don't think you're going to see a lot of t-shirts with that it's a shame i'm not saying that, e that there's right or wrong in it but it's a shame that because maybe people see toys at target associated right. with Puss in Boots, right? That then it makes them think, oh, the the related screen content must only be for children, right? And I that's see. not the that's not the case. But um, I think there are enough examples that it's made an impression on people. And then also, like live action, just in my opinion and from what I've observed, it's kind of like it's it's sexier for the creators because it's real people and real people's faces are seen on the screen mm. whereas animation nobody is see, like e even the most favorite famous character is not a person's face or a person's body mm. and so just by nature of what the content is it's a lot more look at me look at me because you know he, sure. here i am the beautiful actress or the talented actor whereas animation it by its very nature is these artistic representations and so um i think the the human component gets lost in the in the shuffle i don't know what's to be done about it other than talking you know yeah. these these articles are helpful and the more people um write about it and talk about it on shows and, and stuff yeah yeah, yeah. that that helps because it's all valid art there's not yes. one yes. that's it's essentially better than the other. It makes me think of one of the interviews that I had with, um, lady's name is uh, Jan Stebbins. I don't know if you know Jan or not. She's up in New York. She's um, she's a showrunner. She is a producer. She's done, uh, you know, a number, a variety of things. Um, she's best known for Octonauts and for Olivia. And sadly, the creator of Olivia just passed away a couple of days ago. So rest in peace. I heard and, that. You know, yeah. Uh, condolences to his family and and his um, his friends. But uh, Jan was talking very similarly about the same thing. But one of the points that she made was, and we were talking, and she says the difficulty in folks really understanding 
animation, right? And really giving animators and the animation community probably it's just due is that it's, it's, there's so much ambiguity behind what we do, right? So there's like this curtain, if you will, um, almost like uh, was the Wizard of Oz, right? So there's like this curtain and folks don't see, you know, they don't see what we do. They don't see the amount of work and effort that it takes. It's like, you know, you have just a bunch of people sitting in front of a computer all day and they think that all this stuff just kind of magically appears, but not realizing the amount of work that just goes to, into animating one specific part of a character in a feature film. You know, you've got you got people that are dedicated to just moving the arm or just controlling the facial features or just the texture of the skin, not even the skin tone. Like there's all these multi layers that are, you know, fascinating um, and, and it's multifaceted. And I think it's so complex that probably the vast majority of the public um, probably could not and would not understand it or fully appreciate it. But us within the space, you would think that there would be more levity there and more, you know, more appreciation for that. But again, me coming, I'm being honest with you, me coming from live action, because that's primarily what I've done, moving into animation, I've learned a lot. I mean, I'm just telling you, I've learned a lot. I've learned that <laughs> number one, animation takes a lot of time. Okay. It's not, it's not a snap your finger and you know, you can't just go and get a kid to move across screen, you know, and, and, and record, you know, 20 or 30 minutes of, you know, of a performance. It just doesn't work like that, you know, and depending on the animation, it can be even more time. So, you know, you have 3d animation, 2d animation, stop motion animation, and any variety thereof. And so it's one of those things where I think, as you just said, the more exposure I think people get to it, perhaps maybe the more they can appreciate it. But um, even still, I think the um, criticisms that are being raised are valid. Oh yeah, and every everybody on the planet wants to be validated and valued for their yes. contribution. Not, uh, and wh why should animators and people who are in the animation industry and in other capacities be any different than that? Sure. But um, just real quick, revisiting the the past history of the big studios winning most of the awards mm. i don't know that it's anyone necessarily devaluing the contribution of the indies i think it might just be that those big studios are more likely to have allies who are in the yes. academy That's people who used to work for disney sure. or who used to work for dreamworks or who sure. currently do and therefore they vote on they vote for their friends and why not i mean <laughs> what why not and so um whereas like the smaller studios and all that because we might give lip service to meritocracy but right. very few things in life are genuine authentic meritocracies there are a lot of factors that go into who is the winner well <laughs> It kind of goes back to what we were saying earlier about relationships, right? Because, I mean, you know, uh, that brings me to another interview that I did. A young lady by the name of uh, Katie did Lang Langrock. She's here in Georgia. She's a writer. She wrote. She wrote for. Um, she wrote for Hello Kitty and Robo Gobo is the new Disney show that she's writing on. Right. She made a good point. Her point was that, um, you know when she first started out, she moved out to LA, didn't know anyone and basically took this risk. Right. 
But then when she got out there, she started making connections, started making relationships. But all basically all these people were all, they were on the same level, on the same rung. But the more she got into it, the more she started working and writing, the more that uh, she saw opportunities within her circle. And they started, she's like, I think she called it all boats rising, right? They started rising together up the ranks, right? And so they would pull each other in and pull each other up and help each other get jobs and stuff like that, right? So what you're talking about makes a lot of sense to me because if, you know, if you've been within this organization or this company and, you know, you put your time in and you've made these relationships, right, then it only makes sense that if these, you know, these films that, they, they all, as you said, they're not bad. They're not bad movies, right? But it, it unfortunately limits the opportunity for smaller budget films, smaller productions, and films that might otherwise, you know, be really, really, really good that could compete that otherwise may not get the opportunity because there's only a certain number of spaces, right? So I think that's I think that's kind of what you're hitting at. I think there's probably a lot of certainly a lot of truth to that, but there's probably a lot of you know a lot of um, reality there that we don't necessarily acknowledge as much as we probably see. Am I am I making sense in saying that? Yeah, most definitely. Uh, if, yeah, it all makes sense to me. Um, so many factors go yeah. into what you see on the awards shows. There's right. so much behind the scenes. But that's just point, though. You, you just said something that makes a lot of sense to me, which was uh, it's basically how these shows get nominated in the first place, right? But once you get nominated, here's the kicker, the thing I've learned, there is a campaign. It doesn't matter if it's the Oscars, if it's the Grammys, if it's you know the Emmys. There's a, there's a full-blown campaign that gets initiated by your PR team that you get involved with that guess what you have to get out there and do the circuit you have to get your name out there you have to create this buzz right you're all on social media and all this other stuff one of the other um uh, articles that we talked about i'll mention this as well real quick it's called animation filmmakers speak out about oscars disrespect and in that one that's actually what they talk about is this this whole campaign that drives the the oscar buzz that that then affects the, the films that actually get chosen and that win the award, right? So now, right now, the big buzz is, uh, was it everywhere, anything everywhere, everywhere, something? What, how's it going? <laughs> it's everything, everywhere, all at once. Everything, everywhere, all at once. That describes me to the fullest, guys. As a single parent, I feel like that's me. I'm at PTA conferences. I'm at doggone uh, football. Uh, I'm at the, the snack stand. I'm, I'm mentoring, coaching my daughter. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I feel like that's me. They they stole that. They, hey, I need to be reimbursed. You guys need to pay me because you, you stole my story. I'm just not in the metaverse. Sorry. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, you know, like that uh, movie has gotten all of this critical acclaim and critical buzz. And uh, the lady's name is, uh, was it Michelle Yeoh? Is that her name? Is that how you say that? So... Without question, she is deserving of all of the praise and all of the accolades. But the flip side to that is, is that if this were a little bitty budget film, which would she still have all those same opportunities? If it was this, you know, if she didn't have, um, you know, these, you know, well-known directors behind her in the studio, and would it still have the same opportunities? If this movie was made for a million five, would it still have those same opportunities? Probably not, you know. And that's kind of the thing that, you know, you, you come to realize is this whole campaign thing is serious, man. I mean, it's 
It's a mindset and it's a mental mindset that you have to get into. Another person to talk about that is Angela Bassett, right? You know, she's up for an award for, um, was it supporting best supporting actress? I think. Yeah. Yes. But, but, um, yes. Uh, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's right. I saw the movie, loved the movie. In my personal opinion, she was the best one in the movie. I would not take anything from her. I, I, I would agree 1000% with that. The point being is, is that she even made a statement where she said she was on a campaign, like literally in her interview, she said, you know, I'm on this campaign. And then when she said that it was a trigger for me because I was like, oh yes, that's right. It's actually just like a political campaign. You have to do these stops. You know, you gotta do, you gotta do the, you know, all the waving and hugging and kissing the babies. It's a similar thing. So, <laughs> yes. you know, it's, it, it really is. Um, I don't think I saw Angela Bassett with any babies, but I mean, my point is, you know, <laughs> I'm sure there was a baby that, that snuck in there. There was, a, there was a baby somewhere. somewhere. Probably. Yeah. It even, even just to be nominated for any of these awards, right. any of the, these valuable awards, like, well, and even even small awards from film festivals. Right. There's a cost to entry. Yes. You don't. It's not just people sitting around um, shooting the breeze saying, "Oh, who's who did the best this year?" Oh no, right. you've got. It's like it's like applying for jobs on the horrible like portals on the internet where you've got to put all in all this supporting That's right. documentation and forms, and there's money involved. You have to pay to enter. Um, the, the Annie Awards, the Emmys, the right. Oscars, the whatever. So you've got to not only have the resources, the, the financial resources to enter, but you've got to have like the the resources to do all that bureaucratic stuff to fill out the paperwork, edit the clips, right. to go for with the, the nominations. And like every category that you enter costs more money. And, right. and then- then once you get the nomination, it's like you said, then that's when the, the big campaigning starts. And there are publicists in LA that specialize in Oscar campaigns. Like that is their bread and butter is during award season to orchestrate these these F FYC for your consideration campaigns, which mm. includes billboards, commercials, wow. special screenings, panels, um, swag, right parties whatever and um there are several publicists that that is that is the main part of their business like they might do other little things during the year but by and large they're orchestrating these fyc campaigns and and that is a lot of it's a lot of work and um and it's not just arbitrary so i don't think the general public understands what a huge machine this all is yes. and it's not necessarily a meritocracy it's yes yes it's very calculated it's very, very calculated. calculated very yeah well <laughs> I, I think that's the beauty behind what we're what we're talking about now um there's a friend of mine with a podcast called uh, mentors on the mic um michelle uh, michelle miller she had um most recently um, she had a guy on Ben Feingold. So he's the current CEO of uh, Samuel Goldwyn Films. Ben discussed um, his journey and he, he's been in all of these different positions and, you know, titles for, you know, several different major corporations like uh, Sony TriStar and stuff like that. Right. 
But he talked about bringing in actors, bringing in directors, and he talked about how a lot of the times um, the decisions to bring these folks in would be um, made in part based on their previous past patterns of behavior, right? I'm not going to name any names, but he mentioned a couple of different directors that he they didn't want to bring in because those directors were known for going over budget, right? They were known for taking too many creative um, licenses, right? And then that puts the company's investment in jeopardy, right? So uh, I'm listening to this, and then it makes me think fast forward. When you start thinking about the campaign, see, th those two things tie together because the, the investor, which are the companies, they, um, they are reluctant to put money behind a show or a film. They call them shows, right? They're reluctant to put money behind the show if they know the people that are heading it up aren't going to be contributors on the other side of the coin when you start talking about the marketing or the campaign for award season. So whether that be for the Oscars or the Grammys or for the Indie Spirit Awards or whatever that might be, right? Even frankly, at um, you know, at Kid Screen, I mean, there was uh, I interviewed uh, uh, three. Well, I interviewed several different people, but I interviewed a team from um, the show's called um, Deepa and Anoop, right? Deepa and Anoop, great show. So such a cute, such a cute little uh, TV show. Um, I had a chance to talk to uh, Manjal and. Uh, Lisa and uh, Heather and interviewed all three of them. And you guys can, you'll see the interviews coming up. Uh, shameless plug, by the way. It was shameless. <laughs> hey, you gotta do it. <laughs> but nonetheless, great, great interviews. All three, all three interviews were different. But the thing you learn is the amount of time that it takes to get one freaking project done is amazing. Lisa told me she came on with this project. It took 17 years to get this thing developed. 17 years. Wow. Right? Heather came into the mix. Heather brought in Mattel. It was Mattel's very first time um, creating and doing anything in the television space. So now they have Mattel TV that's primarily due to, um, to Heather, right? So, you know, now they've moved from, you know, from toys, toy manufacturing, now to what, television. Now they're moving into publishing, right? So they're, you know, all these companies are trying to diversify. And as you know, you know, Marlene, you know, it, animation takes a long time, man. You, okay, you look at Avatar, right? Let's look at Avatar. Avatar is up for... I think uh, so, <laughs> yeah, best picture. Best picture, which is, that in and of itself is amazing because those types of big budget, big blockbuster films don't get that, you know, they don't get that critical acclaim. Even that, when you look at that, it, you know, these studios have become more and more and more reluctant to work with filmmakers or actors or producers especially actors and, and, and the directors um, who aren't willing to go and to take the extra steps to engage in the campaign. Oh yeah. And I, th I think in um, a lot of the, the talents contracts, and I imagine the talent, meaning the directors, producers, you know, the, the, the name, the people with name value work on the film, yes. I, I think it's built into their contracts that they have to contribute to that if should it come up mm. but then i i have a feeling that priorities shift and if people are working on other things and sure. you know various factors happen um probably during covid people who oh, had yeah. those obligations didn't feel like traveling or sure. whatever so then contracts get 
violated and I don't know, hard feelings ensue. (laughs) But uh, gosh, I wish I wish those were the kind of problems I had to deal with. (laughs) Like whether or not I was going to participate in an Oscar campaign. Um, That's a nice (laughs) problem. Look, look, our time is coming. Our time is coming, right? (laughs) Okay. Okay, guys, wait a minute. Before we leave, before we break away, I have to tell you, I have some amazing news, some exciting news here that we are breaking right here on the show on the expert process. We are about to break the internet. We are about to shut down LinkedIn. We're about, well, uh, okay, maybe I'm exaggerating, but nonetheless, I want to share with you guys, I have just pitched the incomparable, the immeasurable, the awesome Marlene Sharp on coming on board to work with me on the fantastical adventures of Sleepy Steve, or all things Madison, the the the, the live the live show, or the magnificent Sheroes, which is another animation that we're working on. You guys are gonna see all this good stuff, this great stuff coming out. But I just pitched Marlene. Marlene says she's thinking about it. So hey, look, guys, <laughs> yes, I'm thinking about it. <laughs> Hooray! <laughs> Hey, so look, guys, you you guys understand how pitches work. It's not it's not immediate, you know. <laughs> well, you know, it's it, it it's it's in everyone's best interest to do the research, be, right. be, make sure it's a a good fit because you don't you don't want to get married on the first date, right? No, I no, mean, no, 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 exactly. that, that right. might be fine for a reality show, but to have a lasting. <laughs> meaningful relationship That's you right. need to date a little bit first right. so oh so we're officially here. dating you guys hear this marlene says she's dating <laughs> me now oh i feel so special we're podcast <laughs> official <laughs> okay marlene thank you so much for your time before i let you go uh okay we did not get into the shorts right so the animated shorts the shorts category give us your pick for the short okay my pick is the boy the mole the fox and the horse beautiful okay. short film and it is it is not a, an insignificant thing to say that the the company behind this film uh bad robot which is jj oh, yeah. abrams company right. really went above and beyond to make hollywood animation folks feel like they were all a part of this film and oh, wow. the outreach and the um, the passion for this project, besides the fact that it's it's based on a wonderful book, mm. wonderful children's book, and um, the the process of creating this film seems to be one that was filled with love and and passion, especially on the part of the Bad Robot executive Hannah Mangella, who okay. comes from a a very um, <clears throat> distinguished pedigree of filmmaking her okay. her father is uh or was anthony Mangella. her brother max Mangella is a is a very talented actor he's mm. on the um uh the handmaid's tale and okay. hannah has been a top executive at sony and now at bad robot and she was just a champion of this children's book and then mm. making it into a film so knowing all the behind the scenes of it and then seeing the movie hmm. i i'd love to see it as a feature actually so that's my pick for best awesome. short awesome and now for one of my favorite categories best animated short film the nominees are 
the boy, the mole, the fox, and the horse, the flying sailor, ice merchants, my year of dicks, and an ostrich told me the world is fake, and I think I believe it. And my choice for this award goes to, drumroll please, <laughs> the boy, the mole, the fox, and the horse by Charlie Maxey and Matthew Ford. Yes, I have to agree with Marlene. You nailed it. This movie is awesome. Um, I'm going to say that I was moved by the hero's journey. Um, you know, what they mean by that is there's a starting point and an end point in every story, but it's the journey of that character to get to that end point from where they start, um, the obstacles that they have, they have to overcome, the um, things that you know, uh, they experience along the way that get them to the end point. And this story was beautifully told. I have to say, um, yeah, Bad Robot did a, an excellent job on this. Kudos to you guys and the whole team. My second favorite, though, um, I would say is Ice Merchants. Ice Merchants actually brought me to tears. I'll be honest with you. Um, I, I, I didn't I did not see that coming. I mean, just a beautiful movie. Um Again, just uh, no, you know, no dialogue in the entire movie, which for a lot of people throws them off. But um, it was just a really, really well done story. Um, very cleverly written. Um, and the story, the way it unfolds um, toward the end, will it will catch you. It will catch you off guard and it will it will bring a tear or two to your eyes unless you're just not uh, a human person. But it touches on so many different, you know, so many different topics like loss of life, you know, loss of a loved one, um, global warming, um, you know, loss of your, you know, of your dwelling, your home, which so many people are, uh, displacement, which so many people are dealing with right now, um, love and empathy and faith and having faith. And it's just, it was just an incredible movie. So that was a very close runner up to me. Um, but the boy, the mold, fox and the horse has my vote. Marlene, thank you again so much for your time. We really enjoyed having you here. This was such a such a pleasure. And we you're welcome to come back on the show at any time. Oh, great. I will. You you might regret saying that, <laughs> extending that. <laughs> You'll see me popping in and you know, what do they call it? Photo bombing. I'll oh, be like yeah, podcast yeah. bombing. <laughs> hey Durante, it's me calling into your Zoom. <laughs> well, hey, we're, we're going to make it happen. We're going to make it happen. Okay, folks, thank you guys for tuning in. And on that note, we're out.